As you know, this month we've been uh, celebrating the Sanctity of Life. Um, Sanctity of Life Sunday was actually last week, but we like to, we think the the uh, subject of life and life issues is so important that instead of just one one weekend, we like to devote a lot more attention to it. Um, as we said before, um, when we think of pro-life, people almost always think of abortion only, and of course it's a much bigger uh, worldview than just being against abortion. It's about caring about justice. It's about caring for the poor. It's about many things. <laughs> um, today we're going to have a few more people share before I open the word and we look at scripture together. But uh, Diane actually shared last week, but she wanted to just share a quick story with us. Um, you all know Diane Vaughn, the one and only. <laughs> She believes in justice, as you can tell. Put that up there. This is his prop for when he talks. Up there. He told me to bring it from home, so. Yeah, we found that in an old antique shop, didn't we? Yeah. Okay, I just really had to, I asked David if I could share this morning. I know I'm not going to talk long, but I just got to tell you this story um, that happened this week. Actually, it happened Thursday. Thursday was the 22nd. The 22nd was the 42nd anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Almost 57 million babies have been slaughtered in our nation since then, since the legal, legalization of abortion. So, um, naturally that day I was a little heavy hearted, just on my mind thinking about it and went to work and, um, and it was kind of a rough day at the office, did an ultrasound on a young girl. She was 16 weeks pregnant, um, totally abortion minded. So, Roe v. Wade day, 16 week baby auditioning for his or her life. Abortion-minded young girl. It's a rough day at the office. Um, anyways, God really gave me a really sweet closure that day, and I wanted to share it because this is how awesome our God is. Um, I went out with David uh, for dinner. We met with the Sanders, and we were at a restaurant. And this is, um, for some reason this past week, also everybody decided to get gonorrhea and chlamydia. And so it was really busy. <laughs> it was really busy at the center. So they just decided dishi- to do that. Dishing out a lot of medication. And I was supposed to be at a meeting Thursday night at 5.30 when this girl walks in five minutes before we, cl- we close to get her medication. And I had to treat her. So I was running late to this meeting. And then I went to this meeting. And it was a little rough. And... Um, then I met with David and the Sanders for dinner after that. And so while we were sitting in this restaurant, I looked over at this other table. And I could not believe who I was looking at. It was Jane. Okay. Jane. <laughs> Who's Jane? Yes. I will tell you who Jane is. And I like, like elbow David. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Jane. And I'm sure he's thinking, who's Jane? <laughs> Even though he's heard this story many times before, in high school, Jane was actually um, one of my good friends. And before I knew Jesus, I used to go and party with her. Well, Jane got pregnant out of wedlock. So she had a bunch of different voices telling her to abort her baby. Now, and this is what year? 1981. Or 1980. 1980. Yeah. About 1980. 1981. And so um, anyway, she decided to, to parent and, and carry her baby. And so I was on the McClure North... Uh, their little newspaper staff. I was a feature editor, and I asked her if I could write a story on teen pregnancy. And I kind of had to go through some hoops to convince the teacher um, and and the the principal that that this you know to do this. And once they said it was okay, I asked Shane if I could do a story on her and on you know parenting at a, being a teen mom. And so she was willing, and I wrote this article on her. And I still have I still have the newspaper. I still have that. Stored away at my house. But anyways, so she was like my very, very first abortion vulnerable, you know, young woman that I ever got to really deal with back in high school. And here on the day, the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, there she sat. And I was like, hadn't seen her in a bazillion years, right? So I just, after we had our dinner, I went up to her. And as soon as I said, Jane, she (laughs) stood up and David's right there. She just gives me this big hug. And it was just so cool because I got to tell her what I was doing for my for a living. And I told her I was working with women, young girls with unwed, you know, with unplanned pregnancies. And then she's like, Well, it is the kind that that encourages life, right? And I said, Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I told her I still had that article. 
that I had wrote on her. And um, anyways, it was just so sweet because, listen to this, she told me her daughter is 33 years now. She is a grandma. And she ended up marrying the guy who um, had gotten her pregnant out of wedlock, and they've been married 33 years. So it was a really cool story. And and on this terrible day, just to end it like that. And um, anyway, she's a nurse. And so we're going to get together. <laughs> and uh, I can just see her, God calling her to volunteer, you know. And, and, and so that was just really, really cool. And I just wanted to share that. And just God didn't have to do that. And he didn't have to end my day like that. But how sweet it was. And I was just so... I just knew the Lord was was with me. Amen. Good. He is with you. And uh, the March for Life Saturday, you should go down to Jeff City. Uh, There's going to be a host of speakers um, on the flyer. Do Do we have flyers? Where's Justice? Yeah, do we have flyers? Well, Can you make copies of this before we leave? No, I've got scribbling on it because I use this for a radio interview. Um, Abby Johnson will be there. She used to work for Planned Parenthood. Uh, Dr. Pat Castle with the Vitae Foundation. Brian, you know Brian Westbrook? He was here. Was that last week? Yeah. Um, It says Bridget Van Means from Thrive, but actually Diane's taken her place. Um, They figured they wanted the best speaker there from Thrive. (laughs) So I'll let you... Now? Oh, a hologram of Bridget will show up. <laughs> but you get Diane live. That's even better. All right, so copies will be, or just bring them to me. We'll pass them out. Um, also, we're going to have Ed Vigzo. Let's welcome Ed. He's going to share a little bit about Joy Ministry. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Vaughn. Um, you know, it, it's exciting to uh, to be supporting Sunshine Ministries. Uh, there, there's a lot of opportunity, and, and I've talked to you about it periodically. And uh, I just want to recognize a couple of people. Steve Grunder, if you could stand up. Uh, all, all the way up. All, all the way, way up. All the way. <laughs> uh, Steve comes down. He's, he's, he's been down there pretty much every every Monday that we've gone down there. And, and Matthias as well from... Uh, from a music Bias, perspective, come up. on, stand up. 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 <laughs> I think it. Thank you, Matthias. I think it's important to recognize these guys because we've had a small team that's gone down there, and we've had others that have gone down there as well. And I, I want to recognize those people as well. So, if you have ever been down to Sunshine Ministries, I want you to stand up, please. There we go. That includes you too, Hannah. To get up there. So we have, you know, we, we've we've got we've got people peppering in at different places. Uh, I've had Jacob down there as well, and uh, initially he was kind of resistant to go, but afterwards he thought it was kind of cool. And, and, and what I want to express to you, and I continue to express to you, for any of the ministries that we do in the church, uh, sometimes there's a little bit of a hesitancy. I don't have time. I don't want to do it. I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't know what I'm going to say when I get there. I don't know anybody that has left any ministry that has said, I didn't enjoy what I did. And I didn't enjoy the experience. So I want to encourage you to reach out and, 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 and get involved in the ministry. Particularly around Sunshine Ministry, we've been going down every other month. So every two months, on the fourth Monday of the month. Uh, it always lands, in this instance, uh, on the week of Thanksgiving and also the week of Christmas as well. So it's a special time to meet with the guys. And, and, and they appreciate it. And uh, we've been going down there almost for two years now, uh, every other month. Uh, some of the guys have been there that long. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a stable situation for them. Uh, they have eligibility guidelines, but they're able to stay there. They have other folks that are transient and that are coming through. Uh, but because they've been there for that long and we've been coming down, it's really starting to open up some dialogue because when we're just kind of waiting for, uh, the dinner to finish and we're cleaning up and, and, and spending time, they're, they're, they're approaching me now. They're approaching others. I think, I think Steve's had a few people in some discussions there as well. So it, it, there's some familiarity and that opens up the doors for sharing. 
we often get compliments about what we do in, in our approach and in, in, in the practical aspect of of how we share the gospel because uh, it's always been my goal to make sure that when we share the gospel and, and what's in the scripture that they can take it and do something with it. it it's not theology. It's not something that this theoretical is. How does it apply? How do you make that application to your life? And, and that makes a big difference. So uh, this is another expression of, of life. Uh, we, we, we've had a lot of great things from Diane and others. And, and, and Jesus looks at, at each individual as to where they are. And each of our lives are important to him as well. Um, and, and, and it just, you know, the scripture says take care of the poor and the needy. And we've got to, we've got to have those outward expressions. You've got to take the tangible steps to, to do that mm-hmm. and experience it. And, and by taking those steps, you will start to experience God in more and new ways. So, uh, the ministry is an opportunity for that. There's, there is definitely opportunity to do more. Um, uh, from that perspective, you know, I would like to go down there every month or, or more frequently. I would like to see more people stepping up and saying, Ed, I feel like I want to share, but I don't know how. And it's only 15 minutes with these guys. And how do you develop a message? And I would be happy to help you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you step up and, and share the gospel? And, um, you know, it, it's it's exciting from that perspective because it kind of gets you out of your comfort zone at the same time. So th- there are opportunities for that as well, both for adults in youth, uh, these guys are attentive uh, when we're listening. When, you know, when we're down there sharing the word. So, uh, thank you. Yeah, good. All thank right. you, Ed. Right. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, Zoe Ministry is multifaceted, um, and um, we're going to talk more about that at a later date. I'm going to be appealing for volunteers, um, but one of the things we also do is. Uh, we have a ministry called Silver Court, which is really part of the Zoe ministry, and Laura Dean's going to share about that. Why don't you stand over there? Um, pro-life, I'm going to say this, and you've heard it several times, pro-life is not just about protecting unborn children. However, I don't ever want to diminish the I, the aspect of this horrible murder that is going on in across the world because it is very important that we stand up for that but it's also important that we stand up for those who have made it to this earth <laughs> and have um and we need to love on them the same way that we um with the same type of passion that we have for these children that are dying every day in this country um and that's Caring for our little ones, it's caring, raising for our children, um, caring for um, those who are older. And we have what's called the Silver Cord Ministry, and it is where we go to Garden View. I think it's that way. I get a little turned around. Um, once a month, the second Friday of each month, and we love on people who are coming near the end of their lives. Um, many of them are put there... Um, I don't ever want to diminish the idea that, or for you to think that it's not, oh, I don't know how to put this. Um, Not everybody can take in their elderly parents into their homes. Sometimes they need more care, and they need that nursing care. And so we do need to put them in places sometimes. And But there are some people who put them there and leave them there. And there are some in there that never see children there are some in there that never hear the gospel, have never heard it in their entire life, or perhaps they've grown up with it, but they don't hear it anymore. And we go and we love on these people. And I want to share one quick story. Um, the Pipers, two little girls, Becca and Izzy, and my two younger ones, Jenna and Ella, we were all there um, at the Christmas um Thing and we play bingo and every time they get a bingo we take the kids take a gift to them you know and they get so excited some of them get excited some of them are a little crabby you know but it's just kind of how it is they usually perk up when they see little ones and the littler the better but um, we had gifts left over because there weren't as many residents so I took the four girls and we went down the hall and there are people many times they'll have them sitting out and around because it's around lunchtime they're getting ready for lunch so we take we were taking gifts so anybody that we did not see in that room we took gifts to and we handed them gifts and of course some were appreciative some of them had no clue what was going on whatsoever but we loved on them anyway and we gave them this gift and a lot of them have someone with them to help them we had one gift left over 
And the girls and I were looking around. We couldn't find anybody that didn't have a gift right there. And so I asked one of the nurses, I said, is there someone in a room that we could go to? And God planned this. He knew this was going to happen. And these four little girls go tromping in after this nurse. And inside this room is a woman laying on a kind of a lounge chair. Um, and you could tell she couldn't walk. Um, she was very coherent. And her eyes lit up. And she got this smile on her face. Her husband was busy doing something off in the corner or whatever, and he didn't realize we were there. And so Izzy took the little gift, and I said, hand it to her. And so she handed it to her. And this woman, she just said, for me? Why? Why are you giving me this gift? And the girl said, it's Christmas, and we want to love on you and give you something. And this woman, the the light in her eyes Her husband came to me right afterwards as we were walking out, and he said, you have no idea how much she needed that today. Mm. I want to encourage you as a church body who has many homeschool families, we have the flexibility to take an hour out of our day and to love on these people, one hour a month, and love on these people. It's hard You get out of your comfort zone. Most people don't know how to talk to old people. Fortunately, my little ones do because we've been going regularly. It gets easier and easier as you go. School is important. I get that. I know. School is comes to a halt on those days for us many times. But let me tell you, the eternal lives we're pouring into these these older people and into teaching our children to love on these people is just as important as... Passing a class. Amen. Amen. That's good. That's good. If, if, if you're uncomfortable talking with old people, just uh, talk to me after church. Uh, we're going to have Hannah Vaughn come up and share. Do what you gotta do. Okay, I was just asking about exactly how much time I had, considering that it's eleven thirty, and you guys know me. And um, yeah, so um, she gets that from her mom, not her dad. <laughs> I will refrain from commenting. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so. Um, as many of you know, I've been involved in various pro-life um, slash missions slash humanitarian efforts, both locally and around the globe. Um, and those have varied from everything from leading just normal international mission trips to working with victims of sex trafficking. Um, and today, I just wanted to uh, briefly, I'm going to try to keep it brief, I'm going to try to lock in on that, but briefly just hit on three specific areas that I'm currently engaging in locally, um, and then just encourage um, all of us to essentially live all of our lives pro-life. I think in the church, it's very easy to compartmentalize, and we say, well, God, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this for your kingdom, but the rest of this is for me, you know? We kind of treat Jesus, like, kind of with our tithe, you know, how we're like, I'm going to give you 10%, except most of the time we give, like, 3%, and then <laughs> and then we say, you know, the 90, the 90% is for me to spend on myself, instead of considering, whoa, Lord, it's all yours. Like, I want the bare minimum for me, and I want to give you everything that I can. And so, my encouragement today is that we live our lives in a pro-life manner, that way, with that concept. So, anyways, um, there are three specific areas that I've been engaging locally um, and currently, um, and those three areas are working with um, homeless men and women, um, focusing on racial justice and um, trafficking as well. Um, so, the first thing I want to hit, and Rachel, if you want to throw that slide up there just so that it's up there while I'm talking, um, these are organizations I'll be mentioning today, and if you have further questions, you can um, go ahead and Google those guys, um, support them, they're awesome, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so um, the first area is homelessness, um, and as Ed talked about, um, you know, Sunshine Ministries, and it's an incredible opportunity, um, I started building relationships with the homeless um, in 2010. My friends and I would just go downtown, and we'd just hang out with homeless people, which is like... Hey, my name's Hannah. And it was always an awkward moment. Um, and they're like, why are you talking to me? And I would be like, just wanted to talk to you. And sometimes they didn't want to talk. And then eventually, they, you know, it was all good. Um, and so uh, after a couple of events took place in this 
sorry. After a couple events took place in St. Louis City over the past few years, um, I started volunteering with an organization called the Bridge St. Louis. Um, the Bridge St. Louis is a day shelter, and they offer um, meals, they offer mailboxes for the homeless, and they offer a lot of resources. Um, they have a pantry as well, like a clothes pantry, and just like a supplies pantry for the homeless, um, as well as... Um, a job training program for the homeless um, called Bridge Bread, where people are hired to bake bread and that's sold in local congregations and and whatnot. Um, what I do with them is I actually um, I help in the kitchen, which is scary, and most of the time I'm just in the way. Um, <laughs> it's so true, though. They're like, "Hey, Hannah, can you cut these cucumbers?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And then everyone's done with their job, you know, way before I am. Um, but I help in the kitchen, um, but. I also lead what's called the walk and the walk. So I'm considered a um, homeless advocate. And so the walk is an experiential, um, empathetically driven walk through St. Louis, um, through an area where a lot of the homeless in St. Louis reside. So I take youth groups and I take church groups and I take people on this walk through the city and it takes about an hour and a half and we go from shelter to shelter and basically places where people would get their services. And I, we just try to help bring understanding about the challenges of being homeless and kind of help people flex their compassion muscles. It's easy to kind of judge. It's easy to kind of um, make assumptions about people that you see that are on the streets. Um, but they have insane stories, man. And we are all just one tragedy away from being in that situation. Yeah. And um, it is, it's so real. Um, so I basically walk around with rich people and explain to them why they should care about homelessness. <laughs> it's really special sometimes, but it's awesome. Um, so... Uh, why, why do I do this? Ed already kind of talked about it. It is, this stuff is so clear in scripture. Um, and yet it's this huge gap. It's like a cavity in our lives often that we, um, tend to only minister to those that are immediately around us, um, that are in our same socioeconomic, um, status. And scripture is so clear. Isaiah 58 commands us to bring the homeless into our home. And Luke, we're told to give to everyone who begs of us, um, not to make assumptions, not to judge, not to pontificate, not to decide whether or not they're worthy, but to give to everyone who begs of us. And then in James 2, um, it specifies, God specifies that it's our care for the needy that is the justificational fruit. Like, that's the fruit of our faith. That's the fruit of our faith. And so it's really, really important. Um, so I believe we're called to do this, and this is just obedience. It's not like you have to have a glowing angel come and say, you should, you, but, but seriously though, you know, like on the regular, people are like, Hannah, how did you get involved? I was like, I read my Bible. Like, that's all I got for you, man. There was no dream. There was no vision. It was the Bible. Like, that's it. So, um, yeah, I just believe we're called to be with him where he is. And let me tell you, there are days when I don't want to go. Most of the time I do a morning shift, and so I have to wake up at, like, the middle of the night, and I don't like that, and it's cold. And I also hate food smells, and so I'm in a kitchen with food smells. But it doesn't even matter because it's what Jesus is asking me to do. It's what he's calling us to do. So, um, anyways... That's that. And so if you want more information about the bridge, if you would like to individually volunteer, their information is right there. Um, secondly is this area of racial justice. Um, and I know we've talked about it some here um, at church. Um, and we've had times of prayer and and, and such things. Um, but I just kind of wanted to highlight what that's looking like for me in my life to walk that out and to pursue the Lord in this area. Um, and so when things went down in Ferguson and when things came out about um, the shooting of John Crawford in Ohio and um, the death of Eric Garner in New York, um, when these things came out, it sent me on this like journey to figure out what the heck was going on in our country. You know, I was very confused. I was confused by responses. I was confused by indifference. I was confused by the vindictiveness that I heard amongst Christians. Um, I was very confused. And so it sent me on this journey of asking the Lord, A, what's going on, and B, what is your heart about this? Because that's what's important. My opinion is not important. What's important is what the most high king of the universe is calling his people to do and be and how he feels about the events transpiring in our world. So I want to understand because I want to know the Lord's heart. And um, over the past six, seven months, I've protested, I've prayed, I've peace kept. Um, pretty much you, if you could go down the list of anything that you could do <laughs> in this whole situation, I've been a part of it. Um, and I've done a lot of crying. <laughs> and I've also done a lot of listening, um, listening to the Lord and listening to my friends who don't look like me. Um, <laughs> I'm just being serious, though. Like, if we were to all take a poll of our friendships, if it was like, let me see, my friends 
are all middle class white people. Like, and that's and that's great. I love you. I love you. I love me. God loves middle class white people. Okay, amen. Any amens? Okay, great. Guess what? Some of them. <laughs> so, but my point, my point is this: that I, you know, I immediately. Um, recognized like just how much distance relationally exists often between white Christians and black Christians. And that's not okay with the Lord. We are called, we are like, and Olivia prayed it one of the days, I mean, she was just like, there's neither Greek nor Jew. And in reconciliation to the cross, we are reconciled to one another. And, um, and so I just did a lot of listening. And, um, one of the things that most of my, um, black friends told me was to learn. They were like, no offense. We love you. And people were so gracious. Um, but they're like, you need to learn. Like, you need to learn your history. You need to know some of these things that have gone on in this country and even in the state of Missouri. Um, and as I started to study and search, like, and lots of studying, like reading boring things that seemed boring, um, it, my heart just continued to be broken and broken and broken and broken for the systemic injustice that has existed in this country and that resides in many ways today. Um, and I'm convinced that the church is called to engage that, um, but it begins by individually becoming aware of it. And so in this area of being pro-life, of seeking racial justice and racial equality, um, my heart right now has been to learn and to understand and to grow in awareness so that I, I know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? So that when I say... Right now, it's estimated that one in three black males that are born in this country will spend time in prison. And then I say, that is not the same stat for white kids. That people are like, oh, where did you get that stat? That I can explain that to them. That I can be knowledgeable about these things. Because as Christians, we are called to engage things well. Like, we should be the most excellent, the most informed, the most on point, the most on our game people in society. And oftentimes we're not. Oftentimes we don't know. And Jesus calls us to have our eyes open. Proverbs says that he who shuts his ears and shuts his eyes to the cry of the poor, the oppressed, is not going to be in a good situation. (laughs) That's the Hannah Vaughn paraphrase right there. So, um... I'm just saying. <laughs> um, yeah, so the statistics are, are pretty intense. And so my cry in the beginning um, was, okay, God, I want to understand this. But I was also crying out for peace. But what I was really crying out for was normalcy. I wanted everything to go back to normal and to put a big Band-Aid on it so that it wasn't this, like, gaping wound in our country. You know, I was just like, if this could just go back to normal so I can just carry on with my life and not have a responsibility to do anything about it, that would be great, Lord. And God was like, absolutely not. Um, and so... I, my cry quickly changed from, can things just be normal to, God, help me repent, help the church repent, and help our nation repent. And I think that even just something as simple as going before the God, the God of the universe and saying, Lord, show me the sins of my nation, show me my sin, show me my indifference. I've had to repent of so much indifference and laziness and complaining about how inconvenient some stuff can be. Like, following the Lord and pro-life ministry is inconvenient. And, um... I've had to repent of that, of whining about that. I'm a whiner. Like, I'm a big whiner. And so I've had to repent of a lot of that. And then I've had to repent for the sins of my nation and say, God, please forgive my nation for enslaving an entire people group for years and then pretending like it didn't happen. And that's not okay. And... um And so I just think that these are things that are really hard for us to want to engage. But I would just encourage you all, um, right now for me in my life, engaging this issue looks like growing in awareness and seeking out education. So I would encourage you all to do that. We have Google, so there's just no excuse anymore. Like, if you lived out in a village and you, like, couldn't read a book and you just, you know, I would be like, it's okay, it's okay, babe, you don't know. Like, but we got Google, so we got (laughs) to step up our game. Like, so, um, yeah, I just encourage you in that. And then um, lastly with that is, you know, there are different layers to to pursuing pro-life stuff. There's a personal layer, which is kind of what I'm talking about right now, personally engaging these things. There's a programmatic level, which is like churches making, doing programs or organizations having programs. Um, and we're, we're just really not there yet right now. Um, and then there's policy level where we, we make sure that there are policies that are set in place to provide accountability um, for our police officers, as well as just for anyone who has authority in our country. Because as the church, we know what human nature is. Um, and we know that we all need accountability. Um, so there are those three levels so I just encourage you to pray about what the Lord would have you do within those three levels Um, lastly trafficking so I'm not currently working with victims in an organization right now Um, 
but I'm going to grad school to get my master's in counseling. So it's like a season of preparation and staying in the same place, which is so hard for me. But um, uh, that was my mom laughing because she knows. Um, I didn't go out of town for like four and a half months last semester, you guys. That was like the weirdest thing in the world. Um, but with trafficking right now, um, even though I'm a broke grad school student, I'm financially supporting organizations that are doing something actively about trafficking. Okay, so this is not me bragging and saying, look how cool I am. This is me saying, my finances and my resources, no matter how meager, belong to Jesus for expanding his kingdom and for pro-life ministry. Amen. All of my life is for him and for these things. When, when I got for real saved, like my true conversion was not just about me receiving salvation, freedom, and healing and deliverance for myself, but it was like, we're just like vessels, you know? It just comes to us so it can go through us. Like, whew. And so that's what we're called to do with our time, which is what a lot of the homelessness ministry that I'm involved in requires, requires a lot of time. And then the racial justice requires a lot of renewing my mind and seeking to understand the Lord's will and understanding that injustice has been done and seeking repentance. And that's a lot of mental work. And then stepping into being faithful in trafficking ministry, that's requiring my financial resources. And so I think it's easy sometimes for us to feel like I can't do anything about this stuff. But I would encourage you, if you want to, the Lord will speak to you. He will show you all kinds of areas in all of your life that no area of our life is off limits to him for moving his kingdom forward and for expanding his will and his justice and his peace and his glory in the earth. So I would just encourage you all in that. And um, if you have any questions about Exodus Cry or International Justice Mission are the two um, sex trafficking organizations I really encourage people to support. Um, They're super legit and uh, their information is right up there. So if you guys have any questions about stuff, you can see me after church or email me. That's probably better. My email's right there. Um, And I just really believe that, um, like, Isaiah 58 is my life verse, and it's called the true fast. And it's about essentially not just crying out to God with your voice, because I'm up here all the time saying things like, Jesus, I wish you to come back. I love you so much. I worship you. Put me anywhere. I'll serve you anywhere. But if in my actual life with my real body and flesh and everything that I am, if that's not real then my worship is idolatry. And so um, Isaiah 58 just calls us to give our entire selves to um, really to life ministries. And so I just encourage us as a church in that. And don't think that you can't and don't think that God won't call you to do that. So, yeah. Good. Amen. Okay. I don't, I'm, can I use, I'm going to use this mic. I'm not going to talk long because of the time. I thought I would have more time, but Hannah talked. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I, I love Hannah. Uh, Mark chapter 6, if you want to open your Bibles there. Maybe I'll start up here and then I'll end up down there. That's what I'll do. I'll start up here and end up down there. But I need this piece of paper down here. Mark 6. So, so they, meaning uh, Jesus and the disciples, departed to a deserted... Oh, did I tell you what verse? It's a trick question. 32. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. By the way, the disciples were masters at telling Jesus things he already knew. <laughs> like Jesus couldn't tell time. He didn't know what time it was. He didn't know where they were. Uh, astounding. Verse 36. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. 
Then he commanded them to make them all sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples and set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments. Fragments. Did I say that right? Fragments, yeah. And... Uh, and of the fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Um, many, many, many lessons from this text, but I just want to point out uh, a couple things in light of our celebration of life this month. Um, th- this passage is set up, as in many stories in the Gospels, as a very simple problem solution. What's the problem here? The problem here is there's a whole bunch of people that don't have any food. This is the problem. This is the problem that is confronting Jesus and the disciples. So the that's the apparent problem of the story. Hungry people need food. But there is but but what I want you to understand about the story is that the problem here in this situation was a problem that Jesus created. What are you saying? What do you mean by that? You see, the real backdrop of the story isn't just that there's hungry people that don't have food. What what is key to this to understanding what's really happening in this text is the simple statement in verse thirty four, where it says that Jesus came out, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion for them. You see, the, the, the dilemma, the problem, the crisis of the moment was that Jesus cared about the people. That's what caused the problem. Because if Jesus didn't care, there wouldn't be a problem. Whether we're talking about abortion or racial justice or homelessness or poverty or, or, or you, can go th- you can go through a list of social evils that surround us every day. Those things are not a problem to me. Oh. Unless Jesus cares about it. You see, if Jesus cares about it, now it's a problem for me. Because I'm a Jesus follower. You tracking with me? So Jesus, in that sense, his compassion creates the dilemma for the disciples. Because you see, their solution to the problem was very simple. Let's look at the, their, their solution. The disciples' solution was simple. Get rid of them. That, I mean, that's the pro-abortion solution, isn't it? Get rid of them. Right? Uh, so, we see, uh, they look at the problem, they assess it, they know it all, they tell Jesus where they are, they tell Jesus it's late, they tell Jesus what to do, they know it all, they got it all figured out. The, I got the solution, Jesus, get rid of the problem. But the real problem was Jesus. The fact that he cared about these people. And so their solution to the problem was, number one, avoid the problem. That's really the solution. Just avoid the problem. Right? So uh, this is how many of us deal with the ills around us. We just avoid the problem. Okay, there's homeless people, but I, they're not in, in my neighborhood, so it's not my problem. There's uh, um, abortion going on, but you know it's not happening right in front of me, so it's not my problem. I mean, it's not my it's not my problem. So we just shift the we just avoid the problem because it's not technically our problem. So they they really are just attempting to not deal with it, okay? And they they want to shift the problem. They want to distance themselves from the problem. And in this case, literally distance themselves by sending the people away. Literally distance themselves. But there's other ways we can do that. We can do it in our mind. We do it by mental compartments that we set up. And we distance ourselves. And if you're white, things that go on the black community, well, that's not your problem because you're not black. You have just sent them away. The, the problem of homelessness. Well, you have a home, so technically it's not, you know, poverty isn't your problem because you're middle class. You've sent them away. 
You see, we can distance ourselves by the way we think about the things that are around us. And, and by doing that, we're shifting responsibility away from ourselves onto the people, the other people. Now, this is one important thing you have to understand about the, our culture and, 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 and worldview. And Hannah talked a lot about renewing her mind. And this is why we have to constantly be renewing our mind in the Word. Is that I believe, and I believe, and I believe this is biblical, that self-government and self, self-reliance, if you want to call it that, is fundamental to any free society. That's true. But the problem is, is when that then becomes an excuse to say, well, it's his problem. Well, it's his problem. That is where we take a good principle and, and misapply it. Now, if, if, when, G, when Jesus talked about the, the Good Samaritan and the people that walk by, two, two men walk by, they see the problem, they walk on, they could have said, it's not my problem. It's his problem. The Samaritan, of course, stopped and helped the man. Sometimes people are confronted with situations which are beyond their personal means to deal with. I've been there. I have been there. I have literally at times been on my knees saying, God, if you don't intervene in a miraculous way, I'm undone. I've been there. So, you know, Diane could tell you story and story and story of women that come in um, to the clinic and they have been abandoned by everybody they know. Girlfriends, get an abortion. Boyfriend, if you don't get an abortion, I'm out here. Parents, get an abortion. Everybody saying, get an abortion, even though she doesn't really want an abortion. But she is abandoned. She does not have economic resources. She does not have a support group. She has no experience in parenting. She probably didn't have a very good role model of a family. Go down the list of all the things which are working against her in that situation. And then if she walked into the wrong clinic, like a Planned Parenthood clinic, she'd walk in and she would be advised to get an abortion and would probably get one. And then the church would condemn her without taking the time to realize that these things are not as simple as they appear. People's lives are messy. People's lives are complicated. And there are many people in situations where there's an unwanted pregnancy or people on the street. There are all kinds of people who have a story. And I doubt if you're going to meet anybody on the street who says, I want to be on the street. I planned. When I went to high school, I studied how to be on the street. I went to college and got a degree in how to be homeless, how to be hungry, how to be cold, how to, li- how to live in sewers to stay warm. That was, my, that was my, what I got my degree in. No, people don't plan that. Life happens. And sometimes people are overwhelmed by life because people don't have support groups and families. I mean, let me, let me tell you this. The, the, the decay of the family unit is the most ominous thing that our culture is experiencing. Because it is often the root of so many of these other problems. So we will see more and more and more of this sort of thing because the family is decayed. And until the family is restored, we we uh, will just continue to see it. So the church has to deal with the realities that are out there. Okay, And we cannot run away. We cannot send the problem away intellectually and say it's not my problem. <clears throat> because even though it might not be your problem technically, your problem is you want to hang out with Jesus. And Jesus cares. Jesus cares. So Jesus makes it my problem. I'm like, Jesus, I love you, but don't don't put that on me. But it doesn't work that way. Because when you get close to the Lord, you start to sense his heart. You begin to you begin to see things the way he sees them. 
And His burdens become your burdens. His compassion begins to be your compassion if you allow it. But as, as Hannah so uh, eloquently shared, that transformation is not an enjoyable process. You know, today several people have talked about the comfort zone, you know. Um, it's worse than that, folks, let me tell you. You're talking about soul work. You're talking about letting God deal with your soul and getting you to care about people and love people that you would never in the flesh care about or love. It means that you change. I mean, you change. Now, I don't think you should be involved in any ministry because of the benefit you get. We've been selling mission trips for years that way. Hey, go and God will change you. Uh, I thought we were going so they'd get the gospel, (laughs) you know. But, But the reality is, it's true that you change. You have to change. Because it is... It, 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 the compassion of Jesus that we see in the scripture and the indifference of the disciples is a perfect picture of the way it really is. Jesus cares, and we're, most people are indifferent. And that's one of the things I love about scripture. It's so true to life. But if we're going to be close to Jesus, then his concerns become ours. So Jesus has a different solution. Number one, ready? Jesus says to his disciples, it's your problem. Guess what he says? Look at your Bible. Mark 6, after they say, let's get rid of these guys. In verse 37, but he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. He knew they had no food. He knew they were in the desert. He knew what time of day it was. He knew all the things they were telling him, uh, that implying he didn't know. And he says, your solution is unacceptable. I want you to assume responsibility for these people. Take care of these people. Well, they didn't like that, did they? They immediately object. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? In other words, Jesus, it's not going to happen because it's like we don't have the resources. Even if we wanted to do something about it, we don't have. It's not there. Well, (laughs) this is one of the main problems with getting people motivated to do anything. When it has to do with social, cultural issues. Because when they look out the window and look at abortion or pornography or poverty or go down the list in, you know, racial injustice, go down the list. These things look so big. They look so big. And then we look so little. Right? I mean, that's what they're doing here. They're saying, Jesus, this crowd is massive. Thousands of people. Oh, uh, let's see. What do we have? Uh, hmm, okay. Uh, we have five loaves of bread. And there's 5,000 people, not, not including the women and children. So this group was probably, you know, 20,000 people. And we have five loaves of bread. I mean, my, my reason and my logic is on the side of the disciples. They're doing, I mean, they're, they're right. They are right. Their resources compared to the problem wouldn't even begin to make a dent. <laughs> they left something out of the equation. Jesus. Duh. <laughs> now go to Matthew 14, where we have the same incident recorded. <clears throat> In Matthew 14, starting at verse 15, it says, When it was evening... His disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. He knew that. 
The hour was already late. He knew that. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. He didn't want to do that. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And what did Jesus say? Bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. The solution to the problem was Jesus. When we look at the massive problems that surround us, that are in the media all the time, violence and poverty and and abortion and the treatment of the elderly, go down the list. I mean, we could really depress you today. We say, ah, if only... I could really do so much good if I was a billionaire. What do I have? 20 bucks in my pocket. What do I have? An hour or two a week. That's not even going to to make a dent. So then, what do we do? We send them away. The solution to the hungry multitude wasn't the bread and the fish The solution was Jesus. Because Jesus took the bread and he took the fish and through his miraculous power, he touched it and he fed the multitudes. The challenge for the disciples was a challenge of faith. Did they believe that Jesus was able to do this? You see, the problem was they were looking at themselves. They were looking at their resources. They were looking at the problem around them, but they were not looking at Jesus. This little church, can we end abortion in America? Can we, can we take care of homelessness in St. Louis? Can, I mean, go down the list. I can tell you this. This much I know. That if we will give ourselves to Jesus, and that means all of us, that means every part of us, our time, our talents, our money, if we'll give ourselves to Jesus, and say, Jesus, I want to be part of the solution. I don't have much. I don't have that much time. I don't have that much money. I don't have, I really don't have very many talents, but I'll, I want to give myself to you. If we do that, I can guarantee you the result will be miraculous. Now, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't matter what it means. Because the result is not in my hands. This isn't about winning. It's about being obedient. Jesus said, bring it to me. Well, they didn't know what that meant. Did that mean he was going to feed half of them? He not only fed them all, it says that there were baskets left over. That's how much ability the Lord has if we will give him what we have. By the way, this isn't a trick thing to get money. I'm not going to take a collection, so just relax. Because this isn't about the time and the money. It's about your heart. Okay? My heart doesn't want to care. Do you understand that? It hurts too much. I believe that one of the reasons so many pastors will not talk about abortion is because to to actually read about and study about it is so painful. I mean, it's depressing. I I mean, I've had to fight off depression as I contemplate the bloodshed in our country. That's what Hannah was relaying about the, the racial issues. I mean, go down the list. We just don't, we want to send it away. And I understand problem is we have a Savior that cares. And because He cares, He brings it home. Okay, He brings it home to our hearts. So this is what we need to give Him. We need to give Him our hearts. And you know what? 
we need to we need to just stop saying I don't have time because it's not true. If you have a TV, you have time. Okay, we need to stop saying we can't afford it because we all know that we spend money on things we don't need. Now, God's blessed us richly. I watch TV. I spend. I, you know, I like to go out to restaurants. I do things. I'm going to take my wife out to a movie tonight or tomorrow. <clears throat> but when there's a need, I can't say, "Well, I can't afford it," because really, I could. So let's stop. Let's just stop doing that. Okay. Um, and let's just be honest with the Lord and let's respond to to the needs. Some of you will be, feel pulled one toward one ministry and some of you toward another. I'd love to see some of you moms really rally around Laura and Jamie and, and go to the nursing home once a month. I mean, God cares about the widows. He cares about the elderly. Um, I know it's a sacrifice, um, but Jesus cares. And he can multiply anything you give him. Your money, your time, your energy, he can multiply your life. It's an amazing thing what he can do with people that will just, just give it over to him. Just give yourself to him. So the scale, I was thinking about the scale today. Actually, I was thinking about it on the way to church today. I called home and said, hey, bring that scale up here. Because I think this illustrates part of the problem. See, it's imbalanced, right? So there's injustice. We want this to go this way, right? We want it to go this way. We want it to move. So you put a penny in it. Mm, didn't move. I'm in your way. I'm in your way. Try another penny. Should we quit? Should we give up? I don't know. Been a long time. Been, been a lot of abortions. We just quit. Maybe she quit now. Spent three whole pennies. <laughs> Is this thing ever going to move, honey? Should we quit? <laughs> moving at all? Did it move at all? We're not making any progress. So I think we should quit. Did that move anything? <laughs> oh, this is such hard work. Been waiting so long for this thing to. I, I think I think it's hopeless. I just don't think I don't think things will ever change. Do you? Look at all those pennies we put in there. It's not moved. Things aren't going to change. Oh. Honey, I don't think it's going to move. How many pennies I got to put in here? Just one? It did? <laughs> did that move a little bit? Did it move? I don't think it's going to move. Hey, now it moved. Hey, I don't want it to move. What happened? It moved. <laughs> it moved. How'd that happen? <laughs> How'd that happen? Wait a minute. Is anybody getting the point of the illustration? 
You see, you, you know what? Here's the question I want to ask you. Which penny made it move? Every one of them. Every one of them. Your penny, your prayers, your volunteerism, your time shifts the balance. Do not despise the day of small things. God takes the weak and the foolish things to confound the wise and the mighty. And God wants to use you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you care, even when we don't. And I pray, Lord, that you just give us, your church, your heart. Help us to um, really allow you to do that in us. Allow you to give us hearts of compassion, even when that compassion is painful. Whatever, whatever ministry, Lord, you're calling us to, I just pray that each of us would hear your voice and we would respond in obedience and that we would give you what we have, give you who we are, and then watch you do miracles. I thank you, Jesus, that there is nothing too difficult for you. I thank you, Lord, that with you all things are possible. Increase our faith and use us, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.